Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. Now, I'm currently working through the different dimensions of creative writing in this podcast, taking several episodes to look at each aspect of the craft, and I've put these dimensions into the following headings. Plot, story structure, character and characterization, setting, theme, genre, style, voice, and observations on the writer's life. And the next few teaching episodes of the podcast will focus on story structure with an overview in this episode and a more detailed look at the different stages in future episodes. You might find it useful to refer to the show notes while you're listening to this episode. If you go to pinterest.com and look up the creative writer's tool belt there, you can find them. So let's start by looking at overall story structure. And to do this, I want to answer three questions. And they are, what is a story? How do stories work? And how should a story be structured? After that, we'll go to the practical applications of all of these questions for your own work. So let's start with what is a story. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary's first definition of a story is this. A narrative of real or more usually fictitious events designed for the entertainment of the hearer or reader, a series of traditional or imaginary incidents forming the matter of such a narrative or tale. Now this is quite useful in that it gives us two of the important dimensions of story that we will need to be aware of and these are first that a story basically involves a series of connected events or incidents that are linked together and secondly that a story is designed to entertain and give pleasure. Now, it is possible that you might think of entertainment or giving pleasure in a story as a slightly trivial thing, that somehow entertaining people is not a pursuit worth serious consideration. This might be true if you are approaching storytelling as a way of conveying a truth that you think is really important or you want to teach people some moral lesson, perhaps. Now, if this is the case, I have to tell you that you need to forget your moral lesson and get the story right first. Entertaining people is a high calling. And if you don't take it seriously and end up just preaching at people, whether it's a religious or a political sermon or whatever it is, then those people won't give you five seconds. Capturing and enthralling your reader comes first. In his book, Solutions for Writers, Sol Stein says that the job of a writer is to, and I quote, provide the reader with an experience that is superior to the experiences they encounter in everyday life. The fiction and fantasy writer Elizabeth Moon says this about story. Story is a particular kind of narrative that produces a particular kind of pleasure in the listener or reader. And it's essential that while we attend to issues like the structure of a story and the key elements within it, we don't forget that a story is there to give pleasure, to entertain and to enthrall the reader. So we thought about story as a series of connected events or incidents. And we thought about story as being something which is designed to entertain and give pleasure. Now, there is a third dimension to story, which we also have to think about. And to illustrate this, I want to use one of the shortest and most poignant stories ever written. This story is often attributed to Ernest Hemingway, but it was probably created by someone who predates him. This is it. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. Now, the genius of this story is that it doesn't exist in the words themselves. It exists in what they imply and is all the more powerful, I think, for it. The story implies the loss of a baby. Perhaps a baby is expected and then dies. There is hope and then loss, joy and then sorrow. There's a kind of rhythm to this story, a shape, and it's more complex than the linear description given by us just thinking of story as a series of connected events. The writer Kurt Vonnegut talked about the shapes of stories, and with more than a trace of irony, Vonnegut used to present the shapes of stories in a two-dimensional plane, with the two dimensions being, in one axis, good fortune to ill fortune, and in the other axis, the beginning and end of the story. And he used these very simple dimensions to explore the shapes of stories like Cinderella, for example. 
the novelist and playwright Gustav Freytag came up with the concept of a story having the shape of a pyramid. And the pyramid shows us a story rising with increasing tension, reaching a climax and then falling away to a conclusion. Now, this approach has remained the preeminent theory of story for over 100 years, basically because it's right. That shape resonates with us. It's the shape of human engagement with each other and with our circumstances. The challenges we come across in life, the relationships that we have with people. So often our encounters with life, especially challenges, start small, rise to a climax and then are resolved one way or the other. And if you can access the show notes, as I said, through Pinterest.com, you'll see the kind of things that I'm talking about. So let's recap a bit. There are, I think, three elements to the definition of a story. First, that it's a series of connected events. Second, that it entertains the reader or listener. And I mean entertain in the broadest sense. And finally, that it has the essential shape of a story. At its most basic level, that means that a story is something which begins, rises to a climax and then falls away to a conclusion, mirroring the experiences and challenges we have in life. This third point, the shape of a story, is worth exploring further because it not only defines what a story is, it also gives us an insight into how stories work. And if you know how stories work, you're more likely to write a great story. So let's move on to the next question, how do stories work? Well, let's explore this by looking at the summaries of three very old stories from very different parts of the world. First of all, the story of Noah's Ark. Noah is going about his business when God tells him there's going to be a big flood. This message from God is like the starting gun that fires to get the story going. Noah builds his ark and sure enough the flood comes. There is a kind of rising tension to the story. There is drama. Some people make it onto the ark and survive. Some people don't. And all of these people and animals get packed onto this boat and gradually a crisis ensues and the crisis is that they're going to run out of food and resources eventually and the climax of the story is that they find evidence of dry land and at that point then the story winds down to the ark landing and they all get off and the story concludes. The second one, a very different story from a very different part of the world, Rama's Bridge. In the Hindu epic, the Ramayana, Sita, the wife of the god Rama, is kidnapped and taken to the demon kingdom on the island of Lanka. Bears and monkeys help Rama and his brother Lakshman by building a floating bridge between India and Sri Lanka. Rama leads an army of monkey-like men and rescues his wife. Now here the story starts with the kidnapping of Rama's wife and it rises to a crescendo with the building of the floating bridge and reaches a climax with the rescue itself and then quickly after that draws to a conclusion. Here's a third story. This has got a Native American source and this is the story of Crater Lake. The Native American Klamath people consider Crater Lake in Oregon to be a sacred site. The lake, they said, had been created in a great battle between Leo, who ruled the below world, and Skell, the chief of the above world. During the battle, darkness covered the land and Leo, standing on Mount Mazama, and Skell on Mount Shasta, threw rocks and flames. The fight ended with Mount Mazama collapsing and sending Leo back into the underworld. Rain filled in the remaining depression, forming a lake in the mountain's place. In this story, an event, the battle between Leo and Skell, starts things off. The conflict rises to a climax, at which point the mountain collapses and then Leo is sent back to the underworld and the story ends. And I apologise at this point if I've pronounced any of those names wrong. I hope you get the gist of what I'm saying. These are all old stories from different parts of the world. They're not connected in any way, but they all follow the same basic shape. An event starts the story off, the action rises to a crisis or a climax and then the story resolves and the tension dissipates. So many stories follow this pattern, a pattern that resonates with us as human beings. 
There's a need to survive, to have revenge, to win a lover, to complete a quest, to conquer an enemy. Or even on a mundane level, we grow hungry and need to eat. We grow weary and need to sleep. We grow lonely and need company. The urgency to meet these needs and desires grows and then is resolved one way or the other. This is a fundamental pattern to life. It shapes our life and so it's mirrored in the shape of story. This is how stories work. This is the shape of Freytag's pyramid. And the challenges of life are shaped like this. They interest us because they are what we face and so they must be the shape of the stories we love and the process by which stories work. So all of this helps us when we come to the third question of how is a story structured? We have part of our answer to this question already through Freytag and his pyramid. Now more recently, screenwriting expert Robert McKee has talked about this and the main sections of the story from his point of view are 1. The inciting incident, which is the primal cause of what follows. 2. Progressive complications. 3. Crisis. 4. The climax. And 5. The resolution. Now my own view of the structure of story is very similar to McKee's and Freytag's and I would use very similar headings to those proposed by those guys but I would put one extra one at the start. Here is a structure that I would work to. Point one, the start, setting the context for the story. Point two, the inciting incident which is the event that gets the story going. Point three, the momentum towards the crisis which is sometimes called the rising action. Point four, the crisis itself Point five, the climax, which then resolves down, sometimes called the falling action, to point six, resolution and close. Now, this structure contains within it the potential for all of the requirements of story. It has the promise of a series of connected events, and if handled properly, it will entertain and engage the reader, and it has the essential shape of a story. So let's see how this structure might work with three examples. I want to consider the story of Cinderella. Now that story starts with the context. Cinderella's life is going from bliss with her family, with her mother and father, to misery when her mother dies and then her father remarries and then her father dies and she's left with her wicked stepmother and her her wicked stepsisters. And then we have the inciting incident, which is the invitation to all the eligible young ladies in the kingdom to come to the ball. And the momentum builds to the ball itself. And then Cinderella has to leave and go back home on the stroke of midnight. This could be seen as the crisis of the story. And then we reach the climax, which is where the stepsisters can't put their feet into the slipper, but Cinderella can. And so she is found to be the girl who danced with the prince, and she goes to marry the prince, and the story resolves itself to an end. Let's have a look at another example. In The Lord of the Rings, the story starts in Hobbiton with the pastoral life of the hobbits. The inciting incident here, I think, is where Gandalf comes with the revelation that the ring is the one ring and it must be destroyed. That is the point at which the story really starts and Frodo and Sam go on their journey. The momentum to the crisis is the long tale of Frodo and his companions battling the way all the way to the cracks of doom where Frodo reaches a crisis and holds onto the ring and then there's a climax in the tussle with Gollum and finally the ring is destroyed and the story resolves down to a resolution. Third example, The Wizard of Oz. Again, there is a phase at the start of this story which is setting the scene, the farm life in Kansas where Dorothy lives with her aunt and uncle. Then the inciting incident is the tornado which takes her to the land of Oz. The momentum for Dorothy now is towards getting back home. But that necessitates meeting the wizard and she picks up on her journey to the wizard some friends and the wizard then agrees to help her if she can get the wicked witch's broomstick. The momentum builds as Dorothy has to face the witch to get her broomstick. The crisis is the moment where the witch is melted and Dorothy gets the broomstick. And then we have the climax 
where we see Dorothy, it would seem, has to stay in Oz. But that is overcome by the good witch Glinda, who comes along and gives Dorothy a way to go home. And then the story resolves down by Dorothy returning to consciousness in her bed back on the farm in Kansas. Now clearly all of these stories and many of the stories which you will know and love are much more complex than this structure allows for. And the structure I'm talking about here is not supposed to cover everything that happens in the story. Indeed when you think of some of the epic stories you've read you might feel like this structure is almost too simplistic. After all the narrative of complex stories rises and falls on the way to the crisis. It doesn't just smoothly go up and down. There are different plot lines, there are successes and failures At the very least, this mountain shape, this pyramid mountain shape, isn't smooth. It's jagged on the way up and it can be jagged on the way down. So with all of that in mind, there's always a danger with looking at these theories that you will theorise your story to death. But all of these things, all of these story theories, what Freytag says and what all the rest of them say, are there to help you make a great story. The theories are there for the benefit of the story, not the other way around. Your story is not there to confirm a theory. Your story may be assisted by using some of these theories and some of these structures as tools. So with that, let's come to a practical application of all of this stuff. It's only really worth looking at all of this story theory as a means to an end, and the end is to improve the story you're telling. So here's a practical way of using this story structure to help you. Take a piece of A4 paper, turn it round so that it's landscape rather than portrait orientation. On the left-hand side, write down each of the six stages of story structure that I've mentioned. And they are again, one, the start or the context of the story, two, the inciting incident, the event that gets the story going, three, the momentum towards the crisis of the story, four, the crisis itself, five, the climax, which then resolves down to six, the resolution and close of the story. So next to each point, write where you think the corresponding point in your current story project is. And feel free to have a couple of goes at this. You may not find that you're able to say very easily straight away where each point is. So then have a think about where this structure doesn't fit with your story. Does this highlight a problem with your story? For example, if you write a story where the crisis reaches a climax and then there's a resolution and the thing seems to have finished and you're only about 60% of the way through what you're writing, then the structure has actually identified a problem. Or if you find that your story has no crisis and no climax at all, that again might indicate a problem with the story that you're telling. But don't simply try to fit your story into this structure. Rather, think about whether the structure helps you to work out whether your story is working well. The story structure is there for the benefit of your story, not the other way around. Let each stage help you get a better understanding of how your story works and where it might be even better. So we're coming to the end of this podcast and there are two more things I just want to say. First, we'll be exploring story structure in more detail over the coming episodes as well as other dimensions of creating writing. And to help with this, I'm going to be using a new short story that I've just published to illustrate some of the points I'm making. This story is called Traveller's Blues, A Mystery in Space. You can get it now as an e-book through Kobo or Barnes & Noble Nook or Kindle or iBooks for 99 cents. Go and get it now if you can. If you don't have an e-reader or you don't have 99 cents, just let me know by email and I'll send you a copy of the story. I don't want anybody not to benefit from this story as a source of the examples that I'm going to be citing just because they can't get it for some reason. So, just to remind you, it's called Traveller's Blues, A Mystery in Space. It's about 7,500 words long. Have a read through. It'll take you about half an hour, 40 minutes. And of course, if you enjoy it, please do rate it on whatever platform that you've got it from. And then I'll be using that as a source of examples in future episodes. 
Second thing I want to say is this. If you think you might be interested in having me come and speak at your conference or an event that you're planning, then just drop me a line. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. I'd be very happy to come and talk to you about the craft of writing. You can give me a topic to work with. Bear in mind I'm based in the UK, so if you're in another country and you really want me to visit, that might be a bit more of a challenge, but who knows, maybe we can work it out. Okay, so that's about it for this episode. Today I have quoted from the following works. The Oxford English Dictionary, published by Oxford University Press, from Elizabeth Moon on her website, which is www.elizabethmoon.com. I've also quoted from A Man Without a Country by Kurt Vonnegut, published by A&C Black, from Story by Robert McKee, published by HarperCollins, and also from the online magazine of the Smithsonian Institution, which is at www.smithsonianmag.com and from Solutions for Writers by Sol Stein, published by Souvenir Press. I hope you found all of this useful. As ever, if you have comments, do get in touch. You can reach me by email. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. And I'm also on Twitter at Writers Toolbelt. If you want to get a copy of Traveller's Blues to help you with some of the examples I'm going to give out in the future, you can get that from your ebook store for 99 cents or the equivalent in your own currency. The next episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt will be an interview with Lee Harris from the publisher Tor. Now, I was going to save this interview for later in the year, but Lee has a time-critical announcement to make about open submissions opportunities at Tor to coincide with the release date of this episode. So listen out for that, as well as some excellent advice from him on how to get your work noticed by commissioning editors. And I'll be back to exploring story structure in the episodes after that. So that's it. My thanks as ever to Podcast Themes for the music. Thanks to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.